are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball, and thank you for making Locked On MLB your first listeners. We're available for free on all podcast platforms. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you're watching on YouTube, you can tell right there, you can call me Sully. Today's episode is being dropped on the 27th day of October 2021, and we are going to be looking at Game 1 of the World Series what happened in Game 1 of the World Series, the impact it has, and what it means moving forward. Also, we're going to take a look at Jack Buck, a controversial announcer. I have my thoughts about him. I don't understand why people dislike him, but I also understand why people wouldn't mind hearing another voice. Also, we're going to pay tribute to an unsung October hero from this date. I'm going to do that for the rest of the October days where I'm going to take a look at someone who was a postseason hero on this date on a previous October who didn't get the glory, didn't get the attention that some of the other heroes did. But guess what? They deserve it. This show is available on YouTube. And if you happen to have a smart device, be sure to tell it to play Podcast Lockdown MLB or check out some of the other great shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network, including Lockdown Braves with Jake Mastriani, and Locked On Astros with H-Town Wheelhouse and Eric Heisman. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked On MLB Pods. Same handle for Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Well, the Atlanta Braves took game one of the World Series. It was not exactly a game that is going to be appearing on MLB Channel Classics anytime soon. But if you're an Atlanta Braves fan, you don't care. Now, if you happen to be someone who is just going all out to root against the Houston Astros, you probably don't care either. You probably like the results. Well, let's hear what Jake Mastriani had to say from Lockdown Braves. The Atlanta Braves take game one of the World Series with a 6-2 final over the Houston Astros, but it comes at a big price as they lose Charlie Morton for the rest of this World Series. Jake Mastriani here from Locked On Braves, and they do get out to a great start in the World Series. Jumped out early to a 5-0 lead. They lose Charlie Morton early in this game to a leg fracture, as I mentioned, uh, but they are able to hang on. The bullpen is great. Comes in, closes things out. They get the 6-2 victory. Jorge Soler with the leadoff home run. First time ever been done in the history of the World Series. 117 iterations. First time it's been done. So that's certainly pretty cool for him. But Charlie Morton news is pretty big. He's going to miss the rest of this series. The Braves horse, the guy they can depend on, is now going to be out. And they had to use a lot of their bullpen in game one. So we'll see how that affects the rest of the series. But the Braves do jump out to an early 1-0 series lead in the World Series. Come check out Locked On Braves. We'll be talking about all the biggest moments from game one. Thanks, man. And for every story, there's another story to go along with it. And that's Eric Heisman of Locked On Astros. And he gets his thoughts. This is Eric Heisman of the Locked On Astros podcast. And the Astros dropped game one of the World Series. And this they are now 0-4 in game one of the World Series in the franchise history. And while Dusty Baker passed the ball to Farmer Valdez after his great appearance 
in the ALCS where he shut down the Red Sox for eight innings. He only lasted two innings. He allowed eight hits, five earned runs, one walk, two strikeouts, allowed two home, uh, home runs. And unfortunately, he was hit hard. He allowed six hits that were uh, harder than 100 miles per hour off the bat. The Astros offense only scored two runs. There's a lot that went wrong in this game, and we'll talk about this and more on tonight's Locked on Astros podcast. So, yeah, it was kind of a not exactly a super dramatic game. The Braves jumped ahead early. They were up 2-0 before the Astros came to bat. They were up 3-0 after two innings, and it probably seemed like it could have been more. The fact that the Astros got the bases loaded in that first inning and couldn't put anything aboard, and next thing you know, it was 5-0 in the third, and the final score was 6-2. I have to give the Braves a lot of credit for not letting the Astros have that impactful inning that they seem to have at will against teams with SOX in their name, the White Sox and the Red Sox. When the White Sox lost in four and the Red Sox lost in six, it seems like in all of the Astros' victories, you could say, well, the final score was this. It was actually a lot closer than that, but the Astros scored a ton of runs at the end. Well, they didn't score a ton of runs. They scored one run. Now, it helped matters that there was a terrible play where Eddie Rosario threw out Yuli Gurriel at second base at a key moment in the eighth inning, which really kind of derailed the Astros at that point. Um, but there you have it. I mean, the Braves won. Now, look at I know a lot of people are rooting hard against the Astros. They are the villains and all this other stuff. I'll tell you why I'm rooting for the Astros in game two. By the way, Astros Twitter, note that I just said that. I don't want this to be a sweep. I don't. If I'm a Braves fan, I want a sweep. If I'm vehemently anti-Astros, I want a sweep. I don't necessarily want a sweep. I want a seven-game series. I want a seven-game series by any stretch. In fact, in that that fun uh, intro video narrated by Bill Murray at the top, he was saying, if it's neither one of them are your team, then root, root, root for your, the home team for every game until you get a game seven. Uh, there's some wisdom to that. I don't really care. In fact, what I call the Paul Molitor factor, when there's someone who is up to get their first World Series ring on a team who you know deserves it a long time ago, uh, most of my Paul Molitor factors are on the Astros. I want Zach Grinke to have a ring. And yes, I know Dusty Baker has a ring as a player, but I want him to have a ring as a manager. And so while I have nothing against the Freddie Freemans and the Snickers and everyone like that on the Braves, there's not a lot of people going, oh man, I'm, I have a little tear in my eye because Al, uh, Albies has a World Series ring. Easy for you to say. I want there to be a seventh game, but I also want there to be the signature moment of this postseason. I was thinking about that. What is the signature moment of this postseason? When you stop and think about the 2021 postseason, what is the image, the great image that will come to your head? Might be the Chris Taylor home run to win the wildcard game, maybe. Right now, the leader in the clubhouse is a blown check swing call that sunk the giant season. That's the, the highlight. And I go back and I think about each year, and I think about, like, last year, 
it would actually would have been a Tampa Bay Rays moment, the moment where there was that wild play to end game four of the World Series and Rosarena came stumbling home. Uh, 2019 was either one of Howie Kendrick's home runs, the one that sunk the Grand Slam that sunk the Dodgers or the go-ahead run home run that sunk Houston. 2018, um, what will be the signature moment of that one? You know, I mean, for me, it would be the catch that Andrew Benatendi made to end that game against Houston uh, off the bat of uh, Bregman. Uh, 2017 would probably be the end of that wild, was it the 14 to 13 game, whatever the final score was, the, the walk-off hit. Um, 2016 would be the, the signature moment of that year would probably be, I know they didn't win the game, but it would probably be the Rajay Davis home run because that's what turned that game into a good game and a coronation of the Cubs to an all-time classic. You know, going back, 2015 was probably Eric Hosmer scoring from third on that ground out against the Mets. 2014 would be uh, Madison Bumgarner coming out of the bullpen and getting the foul pop-up to Sandoval to end the World Series. 2013, Ortiz hitting the Grand Slam, the cop jumping up and down. 2011, uh, 2012, for me, is probably the that Hunter Pence breaking his bat and hitting the ball twice in the game against the Cardinals. 2011, the triple over Nelson Cruz leaping. I mean, each year there's that one signature moment, at least for me. And I'm having a hard time figuring out what that is. And part of the reason is, with the exception of the wild card game and the wild card games and the Giants-Dodgers series, which ended with such an anticlimax, even though it was a great game, there hasn't been that tense filled series where it could go either way. The Giants Dodgers series was really the only one. So I want that to happen in this world series. I want there to be the blank game that we talk about. And you remember, and you, if I said pool holes, home ring over Lidge, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There hasn't been that save for the check swing. You know, or the ball ricocheting off our Hunter Renfro. These are not things that you necessarily want to remember. So that's what I want this World Series to have. I want this World Series to have seven games and at least one of the games be so memorable that it's shown in highlights forever. And, you know, this one has this one has a one big moment to it, which was Charlie Morton broke his foot. and retired the next, what, three batters after he broke his foot? That's some toughness. And do you know what? I want to hear about that toughness a generation or so from now. When people talk about how soft the players are now. Players aren't soft now. If you think that, you're a fool. I got news for you. No matter who you are and what player you grew up watching, the previous generation of fans thought that player was soft. Because that's what happens. The previous always says, we root for the tough guys. These guys are soft. Guarantee you. Yeah, even him. Yep, him too. Whatever player you just thought of, someone called him soft while they played. And Charlie Morton showed how tough he was. And for me personally, as someone who's fascinated with the concept of the pitcher who throws the final out of the World Series, Charlie Morton now has to take himself off of consideration of being the first pitcher ever 
to throw the clinching pitch to get the clinching out of the World Series with two different franchises. That's never happened before. Some people have clinched league championship series and division series for multiple teams. Some have clinched a World Series with one team, a league championship with another team. Randy Myers is one who did that. Rich Gossage is one who did that. Uh, Dennis Eckersley clinched the World Series with the A's and a division series with the Cardinals. There have been lots of instances of things like that happening, but nobody has clinched a World Series with two different franchises. And Charlie Morton clinched the 2017 World Series as a member of the Houston Astros, and part of me was hoping he would do so with the Braves, just so he can be the first one ever to do that. But alas, with a broken foot, he's not going to pitch until spring training. But he's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. But, you know, talk about things like what is the signature moment of a series and everything like that. You know what that is? That's the sort of thing you talk about. It's a discussion. It's a comparison thing. And it's the kind of thing you're going to hear about if you join Green Room, which is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download. And once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. It's a perfect place to start a conversation about things like I just said about Charlie Morton. You can find fans like you in the green room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, just reacting to the big news or rumors. You can find lockdown hosts across NBA, National League Baseball, National Hockey League. You know, and I'm going to be on a bunch of those rooms as well, and I host them from time to time. What you got to do is you got to download the free green room app now. Currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the MLB room for the latest league updates. And I know you're going to have a lot of fun in the incredible rooms around your favorite teams and leagues. I can't wait to join you all in the app. Be sure to let you know when I'm on. Download the Green Room app today. Green Room is changing the way we talk sports. Okay, so look at I predicted the Astros in five, and... Um, doesn't look like, I mean, unless the Astros run the table, doesn't look like that's going to happen. And so uh, that's the interesting part. You know, it was not a great game, but it was kind of a part of it was a little bit of a slog. And if they're going to go four hours, I really wish they would start these games earlier. Now, of course, I'm in California. These games start five o'clock here. But for a lot of people, it's going to be really late when the games are going on, especially if they're going to be games or last four hours, no matter what. Now they start at eight because of local affiliates, I guess, local news, perhaps. Eventually that's all going to be moot. Eventually the world series is going to be on MLB network, just like the super bowl will be on the NFL network, just like the NBA finals with the NBA network, because they'll find out that they're better off owning the product and, and owning the broadcast of it and everything. And then they can just start it when they want, which is what they should do. These are antiquated reasons why they're starting at 8 o'clock East Coast time. Start at 6.30 East Coast time. You know, to get it so people can watch the whole game. That's the whole point, isn't it? Not to wake up and ask who won. Not saying you have them be day games anymore. I understand. You're going to have more eyeballs if you have them on during the evening. But what you want to do is have that the prime time Viewers seeing the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th innings. It just makes sense to me. I don't understand what the issue is. Now, another thing I just want to talk about the broadcast. I listen to a lot of it. And the reason I listen to it uh, is kind of twofold. I've, Especially after the pandemic season, 
I've grown to really love listening to baseball. It's become something I really love doing. Now, I did it during the pandemic season because I was having a really hard time watching the game in an empty stadium with the cardboard cutouts. It just reminded me of what was happening in the world, and it just looked and felt weird. But when I listened to the game on the radio, I could imagine a packed stadium. Last year's postseason was so weird because they played some of the game, like the, the A's and the Astros played down the street for me right now at Dodger Stadium while the Dodgers were playing in Texas and the Yankees and Rays were playing in San Diego. None of it made sense. And it was all weird. And it's when you're hearing like the Astros playing the A's and you see Chavez Ravine, it just didn't feel right. So when I listened to the game, I could imagine it taking place in Oakland. I could imagine it taking place in Houston. When I was listening to the World Series, I was imagining it at Dodger Stadium in the Trop. In fact, when I've watched the highlights since then, it's weird for me because in my head, when all those moments were happening in last year's exciting World Series, they were happening in Tampa Bay in LA, not in the same stadium in Arlington, Texas. So all through the season, I've listened to games a lot more and I've listened to local announcers. And I think the ESPN radio announcers, which I listen to in my car, are pretty good. Now, I, Joe Buck is once again announcing the game for the World Series. And I kind of wish someone other than Joe Buck was the announcer. And this isn't because I think Joe Buck is a bad announcer. Quite the contrary. I think he's a very talented announcer. I think he's got a great rhythm to his voice. He's got a great set of pipes. He has a good sense of drama. He says some good things on there. I'm, a, I'm exhausted by John Smoltz, who's a crotchety old man who hates the game of baseball. Why have someone who clearly hates the product be the narrator of the product? If you're going to have a Cy Young Award winner from the 1990s with multiple World Series appearances and performed beautifully on the big stage, and pitched in the 1992 World Series and the 1999 World Series, be your announcer, get David Cohn, who is a fine announcer and doesn't hate baseball. But my main reason for wishing some other than Joe Buck would announce it, I don't want Joe Buck to never announce the World Series. I just wonder why he always has to announce it. He has announced every single World Series since the year 2000. Now think about that. If I use the rule of seven, I use the rule of seven. For those of you who don't know what the rule of seven is, that means the rule of seven is you don't really start following a sport or having clear sports memories until you're about seven years old. There's some exceptions here or there, but I think that's a good steadfast rule. And if you are a 28-year-old, a 28-year-old sports fan, you have no memory of someone other than Joe Buck announcing the World Series. That's not, I mean, 28 is, I mean, it's not old, but that's not a baby. And chances are, if you're a 30-year-old baseball fan, your memories of a World Series called by someone other than Joe Buck are vague. It was the 1999 World Series. If you're a 30-year-old, only the 1999 World Series was not announced by Joe Buck. The previous one, 98, was. And it's kind of like for me going to Baskin Robbins and always ordering chocolate. 
chocolate's great, but there are other flavors. Now, I am going to be a little bit old man Sully here. I grew up when they alternated NBC and ABC for the World Series, which means some years you got Keith Jackson and Howard Cosell and Al Michaels and Don Dreisel, and sometimes you got Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek and Bob Costas and Vince Scully. In fact, what NBC used to do, and I've been doing in my research for my 1972 postseason book, and I've been listening to the broadcasts of all the games, what NBC used to do, and I actually think this is ingenious, they would have Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek, and they have like their regular people, but in the booth with them would be an announcer from the home team. So when the games, for example, in that World Series in 1972, the World Series was played between Cincinnati and Oakland. The Cincinnati Reds announcer at the time was Al Michaels. Yes, that Al Michaels. Monty Moore was the announcer for the A's. So when they played the games in Cincinnati, Al Michaels would be in the booth. When they played the game in Oakland, Monty Moore would be in the booth alongside Kirk Gowdy. That's why uh, Dick Stockton was in the booth to call the Carlton Fisk home run game because he was a Red Sox announcer. But Ken Coleman was in the booth because he was a Reds announcer. He later went back to being the Red Sox. That's kind of weird. Phil Rizzuto shared a booth with Joe Garagiola for the 1976 World Series when it was Reds versus the New York Yankees. I like that. But I like mixing it up. I like mixing up the voices, mixing up the narrators, mixing up that it's not always the same experience. Joe Buck's very good at his job. But so is Jason Benetti of the White Sox. So is Joe, Joe, you know, uh, John Miller and Crook and Kipe and Dave Fleming. So is Don Rosillo. So is Susan Waldman. So is, I mean, you go around the ground. I mean, the, basically everybody who announces with the San Diego Padres and with the San Francisco Giants are fantastic. Dave O'Brien is great. There's, you know, Sean McDonough, who announced the 1992 and 93 World Series with CBS. That was, and, and you had years where Jack Buck announced a few years, and then you had uh, Sean McDonough announced. I mean, have mixing it up and having those different narrators, especially when you go back and you watch some of the old highlights and the clips, having different people be there adds a flavor to it. Going back to Baskin Robbins, there are all different types of flavors there. The Joe Buck flavor is a delicious one. And the people who say he stinks are wrong. He's a very talented broadcaster. It's just, we're now 21 years into sampling the same flavor. And it would be nice to have something different. I think what should eventually happen is when it all appears on the MLB network, and eventually it will, you have a bunch of choices. And if you talk about ratings, whichever one you click all goes into MLB network. You, have, you can have the option for a national announcer. You can have the option for sort of, kind of a more uh, sabermetrics-oriented uh, announcing from if you want someone doing more data, you know, stat analysis, if you don't want to hear old-fashioned play-by-play. And you should have, you know, the Spanish language channel, and you should be able to watch it with the local announcers. If you're a Braves fan or an Astros fan and you've been with this team the whole time and the announcers have been with you the whole time, and then finally when it comes to the biggest stage, wouldn't you want to hear you, the people you've hung out with the whole time? 
and have that be one of the options. That makes sense to me. All this makes sense to me. And do you want, I'm running out of a little bit of energy here. So what I'd like to personally do when I'm running out of gas and making my great points is I like to grab myself a built bar. I have one right here. I always keep one next to me whenever I podcast to give me that little bit of a boost. Now, let me tell you something about built bars. Built bars are the best tasting protein bars out there. Now, when you talk to a built bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their favorites. And if you don't know the built bar flavors, let's sound off. I'm right now holding coconut brownie chunk, which sounds like a delicious Mad Lib. You also have coconut cherry barcia. You have mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate, and my personal favorite, which is raspberry. If you haven't tried all the flavors, get a mixed box. We get two of each of those nine flavors I just mentioned. But they're not only great tasting, they're healthy for you too. 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories range from 130 to 180. Four or five grams of sugar. Four or five grams net carbs. Amazing flavors. All tasty, all healthy. Order today and get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry or whatever you like. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team, which I think is pretty cool. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 at Built.com for those Built Bars. And guess what? I put all my money on the Astros winning in five. And that seems like a shaky bet right now. If you're going to make any bets, go to Bet Online, which remains your number one spot for all your basketball, baseball, and football action this season. Head to the new updated website or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKDOWN receive your bonus. From basketball, football, the baseball postseason, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online is where the game starts. You know, one of the things that happens in October is you find unusual heroes and you find people you're unexpected to be the big names and the big faces. Obviously, Eddie Rosario happens to be one of them. And sometimes there's someone who does a great job in a huge game who undeniably put their thumbprint on the game and yet was somewhat unsung. Now, one such person did that on October 27, on this day in 1986, which is not exactly the year that someone grew up a diehard Red Sox fan likes to think about. And here's the deal. Game seven of that World Series is often forgot about. We remember game six all the time. It's rudding down our throat. Bill Buckner, who's no longer with us, still never lived it down, even though the game was tied when the ball went through his legs. Now, there have been presidential administrations that have not been written about and analyzed with scrutiny that writers have given the 1986 World Series. They're, the World Series had a different legacy. That would have had a different narrative had it not been for Sid Fernandez. And he's my unsung October hero of the day. He didn't start game seven. He didn't get a decision. He didn't get the save. But he may have set up the clinching of the World Series for the Mets in the game after the infamous game six. Now, I, 
assume that if you follow this podcast, you have an idea of what happened in 86. But let me recap. The Red Sox almost won. The Mets won. And everything else is just details. Here's a detail that almost everyone forgets. The Red Sox collapsed in game six, but that was not the end of the World Series. There was a game seven. If Boston won game seven, the game six collapse will be remembered as a great game, but an annoying delay of the greatest Boston sports celebration ever. Now, game seven was rained out, which worked in the Red Sox favor because it allowed them to start Bruce Hurst who won the first two games he started games one and game five on full rest and he was able to take over for oil can boyd the mets countered as expected with ron darling now with a day to lick their wounds of the with their best postseason starter on the bump game seven looked like a red sox win ron darling didn't have his best stuff dwight evans and rich gedman hit back-to-back home runs wade boggs would single in dave henderson after two innings, it was 3 nothing Red Sox. In the fourth, the Red Sox were threatening again and looking to break it open. They had a runner on second, two outs, Wade Boggs up, and Davey Johnson had seen enough, took out Ron Darling, and put in Sid Fernandez. Sid Fernandez was 24 years old and kind of a strange year that year. On the surface, he looked like a possible ace. He was an all-star. He finished in the top 10 Cy Young vote. He recorded 16 wins along the way. Back then, people cared about that. But his split showed that he was a dominant pitcher at Shea Stadium, whereas ERA was at 2.1. And on the road, he would get bombed, whereas ERA was over 5. And Johnson didn't want to start Sid Fernandez on the road in Fenway Park. And he didn't want to use him in any other role except as a relief pitcher, and he wound up pitching okay out of the bullpen. Now, for the second time in three games, Sid Fernandez was called on to put out a fire early. After a walk to Boggs, Barrett came up. Marty Barrett could well have won the MVP of that World Series. He was the ALCS MVP, and Barrett got to fly out to end the threat. Now, Bruce Hurst continued to shut down the Mets, one, two, three, fourth, one, two, three, fifth, but Fernandez matched Hurst inning for inning. He didn't allow a base runner after the box walk, and he struck out four batters in two and a third shutout innings. The offense was firing on all cylinders. They could have expanded the lead. Instead, it was still 3 nothing as the game went into the sixth. They never added on. In the sixth inning, Lee Mazzilli pinch hit for Sid Fernandez, started a rally, Ultimately, it was a game-tying rally, and then Roger McDowell took over. Ray Knight homered off of Calvin Schiraldi. The Mets rallied and ultimately won 8-5. to five. Everyone in the world think the Mets won on the Buckner error. They didn't. And actually, Buckner got two hits and scored a run in Game 7. Sid Fernandez was the pitcher who held the Red Sox bats still long enough for a Mets comeback. He didn't get the win. He didn't get the save. And few people think of him as a hero in that World Series. But indeed he was. He was an unsung hero who shut down the Red Sox when they were on the verge of making Game 7 a weird footnote. And alas, 
will salute Sid Fernandez here. He was a World Series hero, and there will be Sid Fernandez's, say that three times fast, in this year's World Series. So go to the free and easy-to-use Odyssey app and check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Talking about Game 1 of the World Series and seeing what Game 2 has to bring to us, not minding if we'd have a new narrator once or twice, and hoping that we get a signature moment and find out who the Sid Fernandez of this October will be. This is Locked On MLB for the 27th day of October 2021. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. And thank you so much for making us your first listen. And if you want to have your second listen, make it be Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Darren Lighton is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep in the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available on all platforms.